I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. I hope and pray that all of you had a glorious conclusion to the seventh month of Tishri. Tishri being the month of Yom Teruah, the day of the great shout, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles, and Semchat Torah, or Shemini Atzeret. Semchat Torah, or Shemini Atzeret, comes on the day after the Feast of Tabernacles, on the 22nd and 23rd of Tishri. Semchat Torah is when the Jews dance with the Torah to celebrate God's law. Shemini Aseret, the eighth day of gathering, which can be noted when the people of Israel stayed for an eighth day of gathering after Solomon dedicated the altar of the temple. You can find that in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 8-10. through 10. I believe from my Messianic Jewish friends and the Orthodox Jewish friends, Semchat Torah and Shemini Aseret, this year was a sad day. For me, it was a sad day. No, it was an appalling day. That is the day on which Hamas terrorists broke across the Gaza lines, raining terror, rape, and murder upon the inhabitants of Israel. Men and teens shot in the back, women dragged through the streets, raped, naked, and infants decapitated. Instead of dancing with the Torah, celebrating God's law, or enjoying an additional day of blessing of Shemini Aseret, they were being executed, defiled, taken hostage. It was an all-out brutal attack. It was a blood-bathed massacre. It is a sad day on a day that is normally quite festive and happy. One thing that the attack has accomplished is this. And I don't know if any of you have been paying attention, but the state of Israel is about as fractured as the United States of America is, governmentally speaking. But this attack has been seeing factions pulling together that would not have worked together otherwise, and Israel is once again becoming a unified nation. That's a good thing. It's a shame that it took such a heinous act of terrorism to bring about such unity. I wonder, what will it take to unify Americans? That's just a question. I pray that it is nothing compared to what Israel has suffered. However, I fear that we may be looking at worse. I pray that I'm wrong. I ask that you would join me today in prayer for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people, for the peace of Jerusalem, and that God's justice will be served. Now today, Monday, October 16, 2023, is the first day of Heswan. Now that is spelled C-H-E-S-H-B-A-N, but the C is silent. It's a quiet month. 
As people returned to the tasks of making a living after all the celebration of high holy days, the first three weeks of Tishri, prior to the Babylonian exile, the eighth month was known as Bull. It was in the eighth month of Bull that Solomon completed the temple. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38. It was in the eighth month that Jeroboam created a feast for the sons of Israel in the kingdom of Israel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month. That was similar to the Feast of Tabernacles in Judah. That's in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 32 through 33. And that didn't go swell for Jeroboam. It was in the eighth month on the second year of Darius that God spoke to the prophet Zechariah, telling Zechariah that the people would return to him. That's in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. So there you have it. Solomon's temple was completed in the eighth month. A feast was established by a man in the eighth month with disastrous results. And the word came to Zechariah that God was going to bring Judah out of Babylonian bondage. And that word came in the eighth month. So historically, there have been some good and some not so good events occur in the eighth month. And this list is nowhere near comprehensive. Just some notable mentionings that are obvious in the Bible. Now that we have the month of Tishri and God's feast completed for the year, it's time to turn our attention to looking forward to the next year. Depending on which view you take, the month of Tishri is the first month on the Jewish civil calendar. If so, Happy New Year. If you adhere to the ecclesiastical calendar God designated in the Bible, I wish you Happy New Year in this song for Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits. If you observe both, Happy New Year, and again, later on. Now that I have all that out of the way, let's go on to other topics. What other topics shall we discuss today? How about three topics that I know are misunderstood? And it's not that I believe these topics are misunderstood. I know they are misunderstood. What might these topics be? Well... They are mercy, repentance, and grace. I have heard mercy described or defined as the protection of God or the providence of God keeps you from harm that you deserve. I have heard grace described as a good favor of God that you do not deserve. I have heard repentance described as a remorseful act of a person resulting in salvation. See, I have problems with all three of these descriptions or definitions. But the problems that I have with these descriptions or definitions are not to the extent that I would break covenant with a person or attempt to pronounce any kind of judgment upon those who adhere to these descriptions or definitions. However, I have seen, as I sit here on this wall watching the societal and church landscape, those who have taken these descriptions and definitions and twisted them to meet a justified end that is perhaps not so justified. Therein lies the root of the problems that I have with these descriptions and definitions of these terms as they are currently used and understood in church culture in America. A warning of caution is called for. But before I begin to make clarifications and issue warnings, I want to make some things abundantly clear so there is no misunderstanding. I am not condemning anyone, nor am I judging anyone. I am not saying that your salvation is in danger. I am not saying that you or anyone else is incorrect in your understanding. What I am saying is that after some extensive study, this is what I have found. 
I believe it to be true. If you see things differently, that's no skin off my back. But if I don't tell you what I've found, then I would be held accountable. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. So let's begin with mercy. Mercy is oftentimes translated as loving kindness in many of the modern Bible translations. The most repeated phrase in the Bible is, His mercy endures forever. It may not be translated in that precise sequence or order, but the meaning is the same. So why is His mercy endures forever the most repeated phrase? Well, it's kind of important. Mercy is what keeps you alive long enough for grace to find you. It is God's mercy that He knows our hearts and still He allows us to live. Even after salvation, what's that you say? After salvation comes grace. Well, that's true, but I beg to differ. Grace is the instrument that allows for salvation. To some extent, mercy continues. I'll get back to that a little later on. But have you ever read, His grace endures forever? No? Well, me either. What do you suppose ruled over Israel as they were in Egypt for 400 years? That'd be mercy. They didn't do anything to be held captive. Not only were they preserved, they flourished and increased. That's mercy. When Moses led them out of Egypt and the people were complaining and griping about situations and circumstance, God could have easily said, well, doggone, if you can't trust in me, I'll just wipe you off the face of the earth. But he didn't. He had made some promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it didn't hurt any that Moses pleaded their case on their behalf. When the people of Israel didn't go into Canaan and take the land God had prepared for them, they disobeyed in spite of Joshua and Caleb's report that they could take the land. And God sent them on a 40-year hike for their disbelief and disobedience. However, he provided food and water, protection from enemies, their clothes and sandals didn't wear out. They continued to flourish, and an entire new generation was born as they wandered about in the desert. That being said, the disobedient generation that came out of Egypt died off, except for Caleb and Joshua. Well, all of that is mercy. God sent in alien nations to raid Israel from time to time because of Israel's disobedience, or so it says in the book of Judges. God provided judges to judge Israel and free them again and again from nations sent to bring them back into obedience. He gave them the second chance. Numerous times. That's mercy. The Babylonian exile, in my mind, is an account of God's mercy, especially the book of Esther. Haman had the Jews slated for extermination, but God turned the tables on Haman and preserved the Jews. That's mercy since they were in exile for their disobedience to begin with. The Bible is full of mercy. In the New Testament, take the woman caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus. By law, she should have been stoned. So should the man that was supposedly caught in the act of adultery with her. But the Pharisees didn't bring him. I never understood that. But Jesus didn't condemn her, but rather freed her from the judgment of the law. Neither did Jesus judge her at the time. His judgment is yet to come. He released her, telling her, Go and sin no more. Which brings us to grace. 
It is my opinion that many in Christianity have a skewed concept of grace. Grace is the instrument by which we receive salvation. And yes, that grace covers sin that finds its way to the surface from time to time as the flesh comes alive and the old man is dug up from the grave. Many times our sins are blamed on the devil. The devil made me do it. That was a popular saying back in my day, and it was and is a commonly accepted belief. However, I strongly disagree with that. All too often the flesh arises, and the new man in the likeness and life of Christ submits to the flesh. Depending upon the situation and circumstance, either grace or mercy may come into play. It can get a little complex, and I'll hold that discussion for another episode. Are any of us perfect without sin? Well, no, we're not perfect. Sin will and does come to the surface occasionally in all of us. The supernatural favor and grace of God will cover that. It's part of digging up that old man that I talked about a few weeks ago. It happens. Grace is the favor of God upon us that he sent the Son, who stepped down from his throne of glory to come and tabernacle among us and eventually die for us that we may have eternal life. The Spirit of Grace, Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within us and give us power to resist sin and the power to uphold the faith, even unto death. We have the power to resist sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, Jesus didn't have to come. The Father sent him. He chose to come. Second, the Father and the Son poured out the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, giving us the power to overcome the flesh, or sin, thereby giving us the power to overcome sin. We are dead to sin, and that the old man, the flesh, was buried, and a new creation, a new man, arose to walk in the likeness and life of Christ, with, I might add, the power to overcome the flesh and sin. Friends, that's grace. You see, mercy and grace are twin sisters. However, when mercy walks into the room, grace takes a seat. Why? Because when you come to the full knowledge of saving grace in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, or you're supposed to be. You now have the power to resist sin and walk in the newness of life like Christ. But when you sin, in the saved state, knowing what sin is and having the power of the Holy Spirit to resist sin, and you still sin, friends, that's mercy. Mercy will reach down and pull you out of a hole of stupid that you dug for yourself and raise you back up to grace, if you will allow it to. Now that's mercy. And you may say, no, that's grace. And I ask, is it? You see, Jesus died on a cross for us, even though we were still sinners. He died to fulfill the law for the sake of righteousness. I'll say that again. Jesus died to fulfill the law for the sake of righteousness. And I want to say this loud and clear so that everyone can hear me. We do not obtain salvation by the law. However, how do we know what sin is if there is no law? If the law is null and void, as many Christians today believe, then by what measure can we use to recognize sin? Paul said that he would have not known what sin was if there was no law. Paul said that sin 
or the flesh, took the law and killed him with it. Again, our salvation is not obtained by the law. Jesus died on a cross, allowing his blood to be spilled as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. Why? Because it is, and it was, the law that a blood sacrifice was required to do so. Jesus did all he had to do on the cross concerning salvation. But the cross is only a portion of what he is going to do. You see, Jesus died to fulfill the law for the sake of salvation. Jesus died to fulfill the law for the sake of ceremony. We don't need to be reminded yearly of our sin on Yom Kippur as Israel and the Jews did. Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies not made by the hands of man one time to atone for our sins with his blood. And by the way, can anyone tell me why the Jews don't make sacrifices or burnt offerings anymore? Hmm? They don't make burnt offerings or sacrifices anymore because they don't have a temple in which to make sacrifices and they don't have a high priest. Jesus is our high priest to the order of Melchizedek and our bodies are the temple. I'll come back in a later episode and explain that in greater detail when the time is closer upon us. But Jesus died to fulfill the law for the sake of judgment as well. Did he judge the woman who was brought to him that was caught in the act of adultery? No. He told her that he did not condemn her and told her to go and sin no more. Now that was grace and perhaps a little bit of mercy thrown in for good measure. Jesus said that he condemned no one, but the words that he speaks will condemn them. His judgment cometh, and that right quickly for those who have not heard or understood his words. Now all that brings us around to repentance. What is repentance? Most Christians think it's an act of telling God how sorry they are for sinning against him. Many ask for forgiveness of the same sin over and over and over and over again. But even more don't even ask for forgiveness of any sin. Why should they? They're under grace. They're dead to sin. Well, that is not what repentance or grace means. Repentance is not telling God how sorry you are that you have sinned. God already knows your heart and if you are truly sorry or not. Repentance is not necessarily even asking for forgiveness. Now, I am a Christian, and I admit that I am not perfect. I do, however, know what sin is, and I recognize it when I see it rear its ugly head in my life. No, I am not sinless. But I sin a whole lot less than I once did. I do not enjoy my sin as I once did. When I recognize sin, in my life. I turn away from that sin and establish a fence with a big sign that says keep out. That keeps me from coming too close to that line that must be crossed to obtain sinful results. That means I have to crucify the flesh every single day. I have to turn away from those things that I know I ought not to do and then do those things I know I should do. And that is not a process of earning or maintaining salvation. 
It is, however, a process of sanctification. How do I do that? Well, I depend on my knowledge of God's moral laws and recognize the sin, and then I depend on the strength and power of the Holy Spirit within me to say no to that sin. Repentance is turning away from sin, period, the end. So I have to ask the question. You know I have to ask the question. If you continue in conscious, repetitive, willful sin, after being saved, are you truly saved? Have you truly repented? Now, I understand addictions and a deliverance from addictions. I've walked down that road. Alcohol addictions, drug addictions, sexual addictions are prevalent in our society everywhere. Those things can be overcome. Now, I've seen the deliverance from those things happen immediately, instantaneously. And I've seen the deliverance from those things happen over a course of time. However, the one constant in either case has been this. All recognized the sin. They hated the sin. And they truly desired to be free from the sin. But let's look at terms of general behavior. Bar hopping, treating people poorly, self-centeredness, no concern for the fellow man, a foul mouth. Even hating your enemies is a sin. They are not addictions to be wrestled with. They are fleshly behaviors that one can change. But to continue doing these things, knowing that they are not right, is not repentance. If you have not repented, turned away from your, these thoughts and these behaviors, have you truly met Jesus? If and when you meet my Jesus, you change. You cannot help but change. Sin is identifiable and you can no longer enjoy it. And it's not that sin brings shame. Sin does not bring me shame. I'm merely disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed that I did not allow the Holy Spirit, the living God, to direct my thoughts and actions and instead allowed my flesh to overcome and rule. And if you don't know, let me reveal something about myself. I have somewhat of a temper. It's a hot temper with a short fuse. It can become dangerous quickly. But I have learned what the triggers are that cause me to lose my temper. And I either avoid those things or I recognize the approaching trigger and I ask Holy Spirit to keep me on a tight, short leash. In doing so, Holy Spirit gives me the strength to overcome my temper, which arises in the flesh. When Spirit overcomes the flesh, then the Spirit can rule over the soul and the heart. And I've heard many tell me I don't need to repent of anything. The Bible says such a person is a liar and the truth is not in them. But all I have to say about that. Here's the issue at hand. If you continue to sin willfully, knowingly, repetitively, habitually, then have you truly repented? No, you've not turned from your sin. You are still embracing that sin. And if you maintain that you are under grace for such sin and that you are dead to sin, consider this. Jesus went into that holy of holies not made by the hand of man one time to offer his blood to atone for your sin. Did the blood keep flowing? Did the blood that was spilled cover everything forever? If so, then grace is a license to sin. Paul said, may it never be so. 
Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, died once as an act of grace so that we can be made righteous before God. Will he die again for you or me again tomorrow or the next day so that we may continue in sin? No. He's done all he had to do for the sake of righteousness and ceremony. He has done all that he's going to do for the sake of righteousness and ceremony. His mission will not be complete, however, till he has done all that he has to do as far as judgment is concerned. Now, you may see things in a different way that I do, and that's fine. I do not condemn you, nor do I break off any relationship with you. This is how I see things. And as I said, you may see them differently. I'm not your judge, and I don't judge you or anyone else for not seeing things the way that I do. However, it is my duty as a watchman to inform you what I have found, if you will listen or at least hear what has been presented to me by the Holy Spirit. That is not up for debate. If you believe it, that's great. And if you don't, I suppose that's fine too. But there will be no blood on my hands for not having shared it. I present these ideas and concepts as a means to start the questioning process, to invigorate the exploration into God's word, confirm or deny what I'm saying. Again, if you confirm it, great. And if you can find definitive means by which I am wrong, show me the evidence. I'd be happy to look at it and admit that I'm wrong. I'm a man. I've been wrong before. The truth of the matter is that mercy, repentance, and grace, for the most part, are not being taught in proper context within the American church. If they're being taught at all. Dig into God's word. Dig deep. There's more. There is more there than a casual scanning of the scripture reveals. I am the old watchman Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please. Come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.